Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. It is March 24th, 2017. I'm here with Jeff Marr. My name is Rich Schmidt. We're here at Nicholson Library. And Jeff, we'll start you off. We'll start all people off. Why wine? Why wine? Um, God, there's a lot of reasons why wine. I like that it has value. So I'm in sales. I'm in, in wine sales. That's what I do. And wine has value. First of all, as a, something to quench your thirst, um, to, to share an art experience with somebody else, to share things that are intrinsic to wine that you might not notice just by looking at it in the glass. But the, the value of wine is so changing, so long-lasting, so, so intriguing. I like that. Mm-hmm. And I also like the connection to our Stone Age ancestors that were making wine 9,000 years ago mm-hmm. in China and Armenia and the Middle East. And I like that what I do, selling wine to people here in, in Oregon, you know, at, at some point in the Stone Age time, Armenians were loading wine skins, animal skins filled with primitive wine into little rafts and taking them down to a river and selling them in ancient Canaan. That's, so, that's pretty cool. I like that. I like that too. <laughs> can you, so can you kind of take us through uh, how you got into wine uh, as a career and then how and what you've sort of done to get to this point? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I was going to college in, in Detroit, I was going to Wayne State studying English. Um, I, I worked in restaurants to pay for it, and I worked in fine dining, and a brand new little restaurant in my hometown opened up, and they had a tremendous wine program. And the wine reps came in and gave us a whole bunch of lessons on how to open a bottle of wine, how to read a label, how to talk about wine, all of the, all of the aspects that I had no idea about. I'd never, I'd never sold wine, I'd never tasted wine really before that experience. And my first experience was fantastic. I, I learned so much. I, I soaked it in, and I didn't really realize that it was something that I would be doing for the rest of my career. It was really just, just part of my experience. And so, what did you then get a job? What was what was your next step? Yeah. Well, the next step was to go traveling in the Middle East. <laughs> okay. So I, I loved that. I loved I loved my my college experience, but I wanted to be a writer and at. 22, I didn't think that I had enough life experience, so I wanted to go out and get some more life experience. So I volunteered to work on a kibbutz in Israel, and I worked in the avocado orchards, and I lived in Egypt for a little while, and I sold silk scarves in the bazaar in Luxor. And then I went to Turkey, and I, I got into the carpet business in Turkey and found my first career. My first career was in textiles. I was dealing in primitive Turkish uh, textiles. That's awesome. Yeah, but there was wine in all of these experiences. Okay. So in, in Egypt, I was a backpacker, and one of the first things that I bought was a bottle of Omar Khayyam Egyptian wine. Really? <laughs> yes, it was not good, but it was red, and it was in a bottle, and it, it, I was only 22, so maybe it was good, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Right. In Israel, when I was a volunteer on kibbutz, um, they took us on field trips every couple of weeks, and one of the field trips was to a tasting room uh, near the River Jordan, and we tasted Israeli wine, 
That was my first winery experience. In Turkey, when I had my carpet gallery in central Anatolia, there was a little wine shop in my little tiny town, and I used to hang out there with Mehmet, who, who sold all sorts of wine. He had a lot of unlabeled shiners <laughs> that he would sell and tell you what was in them. And at my carpet gallery, I, I always offered my, my customers glasses of wine. So yeah, wine, wine stuck with me. But I was really into carpets. I was into textiles, and, and that's what I was doing. I was in the carpet business. Eventually, I moved back to the United States. I lived in Turkey for, for a decade, about a decade. I, I moved back to the United States, tried to continue in the carpet business, but the housing crash in 2008 kind of made me pivot. And I had lived for a long time outside of the country. I missed my wine knowledge. I missed my restaurant years. And so when a little wine bar in my hometown opened up, I thought, I want to get a job there. I want to I learn about wine. I can do this. I can do this and carpets. So I got a job as a waiter in a wine bar. And to get the job, you had to pass a test. You had to talk about your wine knowledge first. So I did a quick brush up, and I passed the test. And then I really started learning about wine. Mm -hmm. You know, you really need to work. Sometimes you need to work at the most basic level, opening bottles of wine, telling people about them, selling wine to people. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. When that little beverage is in a glass in somebody's hand and they're about to drink it is really a big part of the wine experience. Everything else just leads up to that. <laughs> Sure. So yeah, as a, as a waiter in a wine bar, I realized, God, I, I really like wine. I'm, I might be able to do this. <laughs> so I got a job as a, as a wine buyer for a, a small retailer at a neighborhood market in my hometown. And that connection to seeing people doing their shopping every day, coming in, buying their, their groceries and stopping off to see Jeff in the wine department <laughs> and saying, hey, can you pick me out six bottles for this week? That was a blast. That was so much fun because they would come back and they would say, I really like this or this was awful. This was not my taste. It was really, really an enjoyable experience. And I think that that's one of the main things about wine is that it's, it's a people thing. It's your, your, a glass of wine shared between two people, it creates a discussion. It creates a, what do you think? Everybody has a different palate. Everybody has a different experience. Everybody else, everybody has a, a a different sense memory of things that come out in the flavors in wine. So I, I, really, I really liked that. But that's how I got into the wine business. Um, when I was a wine buyer at, at Holiday Market in Royal Oak, I had a chance to travel to Bordeaux in the 2009 Vintage En Premier and taste those and, and purchase those as futures. I had a chance to get um, sommelier certification through the um, Society of Wine Educators. And so I studied for and passed that and became a CSW. Um, and that led to a conclusion that maybe I could do this. Maybe, maybe this could be my career. So this is career number two. I still love carpets and textiles, but I really love the business of wine. So after that, I decided I wanted to open a wine bar. I, I was still working as a, as a retail mm -hmm. buyer where I met a lot of people from Oregon. In fact, I went to Oregon Pinot Camp during that, that time. I met uh, someone from Elk Cove, and she sent me to Pinot Camp. <laughs> and I kind of fell in love with Oregon wine country at that point. I kind of put an idea in my head, God, I could, I could live there. I could live and work in, in the wine business. But instead of that, I, <laughs> I opened a wine bar in Metro Detroit and had a really, really wonderful experience there. Um, and then something, 
something sent me packing for, for Oregon. I, I wanted to go live and work in wine country. I had been in the wine business. I had done a lot of aspects of the wine business, but I'd never lived and worked in wine country, never worked a harvest. I, I kind of wanted to work a harvest. Uh, so I decided to sell my house and move to McMinnville, and uh, I was actually going to buy a small breakfast restaurant on 3rd Street in downtown McMinnville. And the numbers didn't work out, so I didn't end up buying it. But the time and money that I had saved up for that gave me a chance to work harvest. So uh, Remy, Remy Drabkin at Remy Wines here in McMinnville, she needed some harvest help, and I needed a chance to, to do it. So I, I got to work harvest in 2013 at Remy Wines in McMinnville. That's awesome. Yeah. That's quite a trip. It was pretty awesome. So you've, I mean, in, in a pretty short career, you've managed to be, have a wine shop, be a wine buyer, uh, and work a harvest, mm -hmm. and now you're a distributor. So how did yes. we get to that point? Right. Well, it, it was a lot of fun working harvest with Remy, and Remy was a small, is a small, small business, small winery. She okay. makes some incredible Italian varietal wines uh, yeah. from, from fruit here locally. Um, but it wasn't really paying what I needed it to pay. I mean, I had a cushion from not buying a business, so I had that. But um, I needed a challenge. I needed something new, and I was looking around for, for other opportunities. And the opportunity to be a sales rep for Galaxy Wine Company just popped into my lap. And when I looked over their portfolio and I saw all of the grower champagne and all of the German and Austrian Rieslings and all of the local wineries like El Cove, R. Stewart, that are in their book, I thought, oh, this could be amazing. And so I landed that job. <laughs> I landed that job. I had bought from, from uh, sales reps for years, but I hadn't been on the other side of it. And I learned to really love it. So take us through kind of the process for working at Galaxy. So how do, what is your job exactly? What, what is you set out to do? So I represent a distributor, importer, and wholesaler of wines, fine wines in the state of Oregon. And I have a set territory. So my territory is the Willamette Valley and uh, Forest Grove and Hillsborough. So I don't really go into Portland that much. My, my business is based in Portland, but I'm based here in McMinnville. I work out of my home. I sell to established accounts and I open up new accounts. So established accounts are accounts that already have a relationship with my company before I started working there. Uh, I sell to large chains. I sell to small independent mom and pop stores. I, smell, I sell to, uh, to restaurants and golf clubs. And I also have the ability to sell to any liquor license holder in the valley. So I do sell some special wines to wineries when they have a need. Hmm. Um, I represent a, a very large and varied portfolio of incredible suppliers, incredible local wineries, uh, Zalto glassware, so Austrian crystal glassware that you know, has a real niche here. Um, so I have to keep up knowledge about all of those products. I have to keep up knowledge of what's in stock and what sells out because wine is a valuable resource that often is scarce. Um, I have to make contact regularly with, with all of my accounts. So that means during a week, I have a schedule in my head at least of who I'm going to see uh, on what day of the week. I also make special appointments with buyers um, and bring a, a sack of samples that I think that might be a, a good fit for their business. And I taste with them and I, I sell them orders. I get emails and texts and phone calls at all hours because 
even though I work mostly nine to five, Monday through Friday, and I have the weekends off as a sales rep. Mm -hmm. My clients don't. <laughs> my clients are doing inventory on Sunday. <laughs> they have their own schedule, and so I have this exciting chance to, to interact with all these people in fields that I'm very comfortable with. I know a lot about. I've, I've done what they do, and uh, that's what I do. So how is it decided? I'm curious, like when you with your with your different accounts, mm -hmm. how do you decide what wine to sell to where? Or is does the winery have a, a, a does, do they say I want to sell my wine to this store or to this restaurant, or is that mostly your decision? So, our suppliers is a is a very smart person who once owned a distributorship said, you know, it's a balance between making this person unhappy and this person unhappy, <laughs> <laughs> because it really is. I mean. My suppliers want to be everywhere. They want to be in every, every possible venue. And, and that is my mission, is to get them there. But I want them to move. I want them not just to have one bottle of this obscure wine just sitting on their shelf that someday the right person's going to come in and buy that. I want them to, to be making some money. And you make money by buying things, adding on a profit, and selling things. So trying to fit the right wines into the right accounts is, is part of what I anticipate I listen to them, I pay attention to them. For restaurants, I pay attention to what's on their menu. I pay attention to the slant of their wine buyer. If their wine buyer is favoring really esoteric wines, we definitely have those in our book. If they're favoring only local, only Oregon, I definitely have those in my book. So you tailor, you tailor what you're selling, what you're representing to the client, but you also let them know of everything else because you never know what they're gonna jump on. Maybe they want some Brunello this month. So how much so, so it sounds to me like the, the, your suppliers or your wineries mostly just put it, put it in your hands to, to make your best judgment. Is that, is that about accurate? It is about accurate, but because of my special relationship in the Willamette Valley, I represent Willamette Valley wineries right in their own neighborhood. So when the owners or the winemakers at some of the wineries that I represent are out eating their lunch, they want to see their wines on that <laughs> list. Sure. So they'll contact me and say, hey, we're not on that list can we get on that list? And I'll contact the buyer and say, hey, let's taste some of these wines. <laughs> so that's how it works. I mean, yes, there's definitely input. There is an opportunity to ride with the brand manager or the representative or the winemaker from a lot of the wineries that, that I represent. And a ride with is you make appointments for this person in advance, say, uh, fabulous supplier from Italy is coming into town. You call up your Italian buyers and you say, hey, I've got this really great chance to taste these wines and meet the winemaker. I'll be there on Thursday. How about 10 o'clock? And you make these series of appointments and you make a, a plan to meet with this visiting ride with and they get into your car and you get to know each other. It's like a, a, a weird date because <laughs> there's a lot of time that you're together and you got to make small talk and a lot of time it's a really great experience. Um, and you take them around to accounts and you taste their wines and let them do the, the work and you do the follow-up and the hard sales <laughs> when you have to do the hard sure. sales. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of ways that you, you bring your wine to market. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've done a lot of interviews with winemakers or winery owners or people on the production side of wine uh -huh. and almost without without exception, selling wine is their least favorite part of the job. So is there... Do you have an idea why it has a reputation like Yeah, that? there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of rejection. And when you're a winemaker, that's your art. I mean, there's, there's science, there's agriculture, there's all of these aspects, but ultimately there's some art there. I mean, you tasted that in the glass and decided what oak treatment to use, when to bottle it, 
how long to wait before you actually bring it to market. You make all these decisions, and those, those are the art of winemaking. And so when you're the artist and you're out there selling your own art, people could say, I don't like that. <laughs> you spent a long time making that. As a sales rep, you get to be like, well, you know, you know plenty of people do like that. <laughs> plenty of people do like that. It's just your particular palette, and you're in charge of, of the decision making. So yeah, sales is not, sales is not natural to everybody. A um, big part of sales is being quiet, and listening, and paying attention to all the details of the person that you're selling something to. I learned a lot about sales in Istanbul when I was selling carpets. I learned from people that have been selling things for a very, very <laughs> long time. And it's relationships. Sales are, are relationships. And if you're a winemaker, you're going to have relationships with the people that sell you barrels and the people that sell you glass bottles and the people that sell you labels and you're going to have all of those sales relationships and you might not even be learning from that but you could be learning from that so anybody in the wine business that's scared of sales you know pay attention to who you're talking to you're talking to salespeople all the time <laughs> uh, so do you have a favorite part of selling wine um, I, I really, really like it when the wine is in stock and I can just send it when somebody says I need six cases of this wine tomorrow I love when that's available. <laughs> it's not always available. I mean, wine is a precious thing. It runs out, somebody else buys it. It comes in this week, it's gone the next. I like it when it all works out, <laughs> yeah. What about some of the biggest challenges? Um, the biggest challenges are sometimes little producers that you represent have fabulous, beautiful wines that really move and touch you. But you forget about them because somebody else is shouting in your ear, sell my wine, sell my wine. So you have to focus on the loud, squeaky wheel. But sometimes you have to go back and say, hey, look at this little gem that nobody knows about that we have a whole bunch of that somebody could really, really be moving. So th those are challenges. I mean, challenges are representing this giant family of suppliers that are in my book equally, giving them equal play. So, on that note, um, since you represent, you represent a lot of different brands in Oregon, with a lot of, everyone has a unique story, everyone has their own thing, so how do you sort of promote each one individually, and how do you promote Oregon wine in general while making sure everyone gets their moment in the sun? Right. Uh, planning. There's a lot of planning involved. As a sales representative, you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at the year and make sure that you're selling those wines and representing those wines and at least focusing on those wines throughout the year. You look at the big fish, the ones that are really paying the bills, and you need to focus on those <laughs> because they're paying the bills. I mean, it's a business. Uh, and then you look at the little fish and they are so important. They give you credence. They, get, they, they let people know how important you are. Like, look, look at these amazing wineries that you represent might be scarce, might only produce a, a couple hundred cases and, and you only get 10 of them to sell throughout the state of Oregon. So they're not always available. They might fall off your radar, but when they come in, when, when the winery releases them and, and we receive them in our warehouse, you know, you, you jump out and, and show people those things. Do you, uh, we, I know that when you're selling your own wine, for example, a lot of it is the story of the wine, the story of the family or the, the land or something like that. Do you focus on that as well when you're selling? Do you try to tell the story? Absolutely, but I also understand that sales is about listening more than talking. It is so important to have all of that knowledge and be able to give a presentation on that producer. But it's not necessarily gonna sell that wine at that account at that time. So you need to, 
You need to keep calm, <laughs> not tell everything that you possibly know and show off how smart and brilliant you are because really you, you want the buyer to shine. You want the buyer's experience to be key. Um, so yes, you prepare, you read up, if you, you refresh your memory on, on all of these details, you read about their newest innovations. Uh, but a lot of it's keeping quiet and letting the wine speak in the glass. I think the most important thing is the wine speaking in the glass. So you, uh, you sell mostly in, in Oregon, but do you have an idea of sort of the external reputation of Oregon wines? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, I do come in contact with, uh, I live in the Willamette Valley, I live right here in McMinnville, and it's a tourist area, and I go wine tasting, and I meet people in tasting rooms all over the place, and they're, they're not from here, they came here for a reason. Uh, and, and you get that, that idea that Oregon is reached a new level. We were declared the wine region of the year just recently mm -hmm. um, because good things are happening here. We have such incredible people making wine here. We have an uh, incredible amount of interest from people outside of Oregon moving in right now and buying land or buying wineries or starting their own production. We have so many people that work at a winery that decide, I want to make my own wine. I'm the assistant winemaker, but I want to make my own wine. And so they start their own little tiny uh, production. And then suddenly, they're a big deal. <laughs> and they're important. And they're out there uh, internationally or nationally traveling and showing their wine and spreading the reputation of Oregon. And all of that, you know, I'm aware of that. I, I come in contact with these people. I, these are my friends. These are people in the business. And, and you're aware of the growth of Oregon wine. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is, it's not the beginning. I realized the beginning was in the 1970s, but it is the beginning of something new for Oregon wine right now in 2017. So even in the, in the short time you've been in the industry, you've noticed a change? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Part of my job as a sales rep is I look over the report of new liquor license applications that the state sends out. Mm -hmm. um, because in my territory, you go, oh, this person's opening up a little restaurant. I should get in there and sell them some wine or some sake or something. Um, most of those new liquor license applications are for wineries. I mean, it's something that I study regularly. It's part of, part of my regimen of what I'm doing for, for work. So many wineries are starting up. Tiny wineries, big wineries, wineries changing hands. There's a lot of movement, and when there's movement, it's good things coming. Sure. Yeah. So, we assume you probably have some pretty interesting stories from your, from your time selling wine. Any, any particular that come to mind that you'd like to share? No. <laughs> no, I don't have an answer on that one. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, what do you uh, What do you think about the? You're talking about a, a moment ago about the in, outside in, outside investments in yes. Oregon. What are your thoughts on kind of California and France sort of investing more inside of? Oregon? I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a wonderful thing because those are established winemaking businesses that have the business aspect down. If they're going to seek to grow outside of their territory, they have the business aspect, they're making a profit, down. And that is so important. When I talk about the tremendous growth in all of these liquor license applications, the wine business is really tough from the winemaker's standpoint. I think it's very, very tough to make a very profitable business out of wine from the winemaker's standpoint. But from a middleman or the person selling bottles and labels and corks and closures, you know, there's a lot of money to be made to the ancillary aspects of that business. So by these uh, 
larger companies from, from out of state and out of the country coming in, they are bringing brand new jobs. They are bringing brand new technology. They're bringing a fresh viewpoint on things. Um, they are offering people that are ready to retire and sell their property or their, or their business uh, a chance at, at a real fabulous retirement. I mean, I think that there's a lot of good about it. I'm not scared. I think it's the beginning of exciting things in Oregon. Do you think it's going to make it harder to sell wine here, easier, no change? Oh, I think it's going to be much more challenging, okay. in my territory at least, a lot more challenging. There, there are big vintages. There have been several big vintages in a row, so there is a lot of wine from a lot of wineries, and that wine needs to be sold. And a lot of Oregon wine is sold in Oregon. Oregonians really, really enjoy our wine. We enjoy supporting our local winemakers and food producers. Uh, I think that's a big part of it. And I don't think that that's going to go away anytime soon. I think that, that uh, export <laughs> for these people outside of my Willamette Valley territory, my sales ter territory, is going to be really helpful to me. But I think that there's going to be a lot of labels. There's going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of changes. Yeah. So we, we know there's been a, a, a trend uh, as, as the number of wineries has shot up over the last couple of decades, the number of distributors has, has gone way down. And so the, the ratio I know is, is, uh, is quite a bit different than it used to, and it was not that long ago. So how has that trend affected your business or wine business in general? So from a week-to-week -week viewpoint here on the ground, selling wine to restaurants and retail shops right in my neighborhood, in the three years that I've been doing this job, which is still a new job to me, I have seen so much competition come direct from wineries. So as wineries grow, they hire a direct-to-consumer salesperson or a, a sales manager to go out and make sure that they're placing their wines at their favorite places. And so that means I'm not just standing in line waiting for my appointment to taste with the buyer with a bunch of distributors, sales reps like myself. There are winemakers there. There are, you know, national sales managers there. There are all of these independent winery direct sales going on. So yes, it is becoming more challenging. And if you'll remember that the buyer at this little restaurant is also the chef and they have a catering gig in an hour and they don't have that much time, right. it's challenging. I don't think it's going to be less challenging. Um, but something that a distributor can provide that a winery cannot necessarily provide is that attention every week. That is one of, one of the best things that I can offer. Is I, I don't have to worry about my bottling crew. I don't have to worry about, is, are those labels correct and going to fit the bottles that I purchased? I need to worry about maintaining my relationship with my buyers. And so that, that gives distributors a, a leg up on our competition. Um, and if you work for a great distributor that, that, uh, that I do, I really enjoy my job with Galaxy. Um, we also offer great service. So if, if there's an emergency, I forgot to order a case of champagne, I have a gigantic party and they need champagne, I will drive in and pick it up and, and get it for them. You know, that, that sort of thing sure. gives you an edge. Sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of your, either your specific business or, or Galaxy in general, uh, do you have a do you have like an ideal number of clients in mind? Is there a cap where you just serve as many people as ever want to be served? So, no. <laughs> but I can see getting there someday. Um, yeah, you, you have to, you have to be uh, able to manage the territory. And if you can't manage it, you got to hire somebody else and split that territory. Um, 
Luckily, we're not there yet, but my territory is growing. It's growing a lot as new restaurants and retail shops and businesses open up in, in my territory. Yeah, I might be stretched thin. Um, I also sell to big chain retailers um, that you wouldn't necessarily think of as the mainstay of the Oregon wine business, but I, I kind of think they are. Um, the big box retailers that are your grocery mm -hmm. stores in, in all these little towns move a lot of wine, move a lot of Oregon wine. And that is a big part of the, the puzzle. You have to keep those people happy because it's a big organization and my company has a great relationship with that organization. Right? You know, there's a lot of dynamics involved in mm -hmm. handling your territory and having, having yourself spread too thin. What do you see as the future for the wine industry, maybe in general, but specifically the Oregon wine industry? What do you see in the next couple of decades? Mm, I see a shift to, um, gosh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> With climate change, there are higher elevations being planted to different varieties that we wouldn't have thought would be the future of Oregon, but I think Chardonnay might be a big part of our future. Uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and sparkling wine, I think, are really where we should be focused on, but there is Gamay, there's natural winemaking, there's Trousseau, there are all of these crazy grape varieties that people are doing experimental plantings with now, and it takes a while to, mm -hmm. to really see the fruit of your labor in the wine business. So we'll see where it heads. Do you think it's going to continue to, the number of wineries will continue to grow? Yes, I do. It's too easy. I mean, look at craft brewing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very similar uh, industry. And, you know, there's, <laughs> there's so many labels in, in the craft brewing industry. Um, I don't see why wine wouldn't be the same way. Yeah. So you took out, you took out an in interesting route into the wine industry yourself. What advice would you give someone looking to enter the, maybe the industry in general or specifically distribution? I would say try to look at the whole picture of what the wine industry is. If marketing and um, design is your, your thing, there are so many aspects of that. Label design, website design, interior design for tasting rooms and wineries and, and industrial design for, for, there are so many aspects, there are so many ways that you can be involved and enrich the, the wine industry, especially here in Oregon. Um, if sales is something that you like, get a job, get a job as a waiter in a restaurant that sells wine. It is one of the best ways to get a really good wine education. You're going to be tasting regularly. You're going to be interacting with people who immediately taste what you're selling them. I think that that is one of the keys. Even if it's just part-time, get a job selling wine. Uh, yeah. All right. That's all the formal questions we have for you. Is there anything you want to say or anything we forgot to ask that we should have? I don't think so. Thanks for including me in this. Um, I'm excited to be a part of this archive, and I hope that um, anything that I've said is helpful. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. 
producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.